That was beautiful, wasn't it? A big thank you to... Yes, come on. <laughs> a big thank you to Dr. Hurd and the choir, and to David for the, for the liturgy. Um, good morning, church. I'm going to start by reading the verse that is our text for this morning, and that is John chapter 16 and verse 32. This comes, Jesus is talking to the disciples. Uh, they've eaten the Passover meal, and it's shortly before Jesus is arrested and taken away. And it's really some of the last words he has to speak to them before he's arrested. And in verse 32 of chapter 16, Jesus says this to them. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity to gather in your house and to gather around your word. And we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be present amongst us to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our understanding, Lord, that each one of us might draw closer to you through your word. In your precious name, amen. Well, my title this morning is the illusion of being alone. And the text is the verse we've just read, John chapter 16 and verse 32. But there's actually a funny story about how I came up with the title and chose the text. Actually, we say that a lot, don't we? So I'm going to tell you a funny story. And we kind of put ourselves under pressure because it, it now needs to be funny because I said it was funny. But you can make your own mind up. What happens is that Pastor Peter will prepare the series that the church is going to be studying over, a, say, a two-month period, and he will select the series theme, and then for each Sunday, there'll be a title and a scripture, and he sends that out to all of us who are involved in any way in the service so that we can be prepared. Anyway, uh, about a month ago, Pastor Peter asked me if I would preach today on April the 11th. So I said, of course, I'd be honored to do that. So I went back and I looked at the schedule that he put together a month before and I saw, I read along and it said April 11th and in the title column it said stand alone. But there was no scripture reference. So I emailed Peter and I said, oh, Pastor, everything's fine for the 11th but um, I noticed there's no scripture reference on the schedule. And Peter emailed me back and he said, no, he said, there isn't a, a specific scripture reference for that day. You can choose whatever text you want. So I thought, okay. And then I emailed him back and I said, uh, that's fine, I'm happy to choose a text, but the title is Stand Alone. And I just wondered, when you came up with that title, did you have a scripture in mind? And Peter displaying enormous reserves of grace and patience, emailed me back and said, no, 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 the title's not standalone. That's a standalone week. <laughs> there's, there's no subject, there's no title, there's no reference. So he was amazingly patient with me. I was extremely slow on the uptake. But then that, that kind of presented me with a dilemma because then it's right, I really do have a completely clean sheet of paper. I can pick any subject 
and I can pick any text, which you would think would be quite freeing. But the problem is, and this must be the weird way my mind works, I got the phrase, stand alone, <laughs> stuck in my head. And so every time I, I sort of sat down and prayed and thought, well, what should I speak on? This kept coming back, and I thought, well, this is crazy. I can't stand up and tell everybody they've got to stand alone. That's not a good uh, sentiment, is it, for Christians? But eventually, God sort of led me through out of my confusion and my uh, being incredibly slow on the uptake with Peter. And I started to think about being alone and what it means to be alone and the impact of being alone. And particularly, I was thinking about it in terms of uh, when we encounter difficult circumstances or trials or challenges. And I came back to this text here in chapter 16, verse 32. And the more I read about it and the more I thought about it, I thought, well, in Christian terms, we need to beware of the illusion of being alone. Well, what is an illusion? An illusion is something which causes our senses to misinterpret a situation as something else. We encounter something and our senses tell us what it is, but an illusion means it's actually not what it seems. Now you might say to me, well that's crazy, you, how can you have an illusion of being alone? You're either alone or you're not alone. And in one sense that's true. Anybody look, taking a picture of the inside of this church would say, I'm not alone. There are other people in the church. If however everybody else filed out and there's just me standing here, then yes I am alone. So, at first sight, it looks like a simple binary question. Are you alone or not? But in spiritual terms, I think it, it can be an illusion. And we need to understand that illusion and how misinterpreting it might affect us when we encounter challenging times or difficult circumstances. And Jesus himself makes this illusion perfectly clear in the text that we, he read. John chapter 16, verse 32. He knows that the soldiers are about to come with Judas and he's about to be taken and he's going to be taken off to the high priest and he's going to be tried and crucified. He also knows that the disciples and everyone who was with him at the time are going to scatter and run away. And he makes that very clear in verse 32, John 16. A time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. Then he says, you will leave me all alone. Fact. You will leave me all alone, is what Jesus said. But in the very next breath, he said, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. That's the illusion of being alone. Anybody who'd been, if we had been hiding in the garden that night, watching the events that took place, we would have seen Jesus come into the garden with his disciples after they'd eaten the meal. We'd have seen them there. Then we'd have seen the soldiers coming in, and we'd have seen all of the disciples scatter and run for their lives. And so Jesus would quite clearly have been standing there 
all alone. Those are Jesus' words. You will leave me all alone. And we with our sight would have said, yes, he's on his own. Because in human terms, he was on his own. But Jesus said, but I will not be alone because my Father is with me. You see, his disciples did leave him alone. We're told that in Mark 14 and verse 50. Then everyone deserted him and fled. But Jesus understood that the appearance of him being alone was an illusion. You see, later when he's brought before the high priest, we read in Matthew 26 and 53, Jesus said, do you think... No, not, not when he's before the high priest. This was when Peter had drawn his sword. When the soldiers came, Peter drew his sword and he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. And Jesus said this, Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But then how would the scriptures be fulfilled? And that gives us an insight into the fact that in human terms, Jesus was on his own. He had no help, no assistance, no hope at all. Yet Jesus said, if I wanted to, I could ask my father to send 12 legions of angels. And that's a comfort and an encouragement to every one of us this morning who feels alone this morning, who feels lonely, who feels that life is too tough at the moment. You see, Jesus, he could have said, look, one angel would have been enough. If one angel had appeared in that garden, it would have frightened all of the soldiers. They'd have run away. But Jesus said, I could have called 12 legions of angels. So what Jesus was saying here was, although it looks as if I am alone, I actually am not alone. My Father is with me, and I have access to overwhelming force and power. And that's available to each one of us as Christians. I actually have a quiz question that I meant to ask at the beginning, and I forgot to ask it. So I'm going to ask it now, and I'm going to leave the quiz question with you till the end, and then I'll tell you the answer. What is the link? What is the link between a 1945 Rogers and Hammerstein musical, the city of Liverpool in England, and all of us in this church this morning. What is the link between a 1945 Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, the city of Liverpool in England, and all of us in this church? Think about that while, while the service continues, and I'll tell you the answer at the end. The illusion of being alone. You see, the key to understanding how to react in a time when we feel alone is how we interpret our circumstances. Because we can interpret the circumstances we find ourselves in one of two ways. We can react to the circumstances we find ourselves in in purely human terms. Or we can take a pause and we can react to the circumstances in which we find ourselves in spiritual terms. You see, the disciples 
reacted to the soldiers storming into the garden in purely human terms. They feared for their lives. Here were soldiers, armed men. They'd come to arrest Jesus. It stood to reason they would also arrest anybody with Jesus who was supporting Jesus. So in that moment when the soldiers flooded in, they responded to the situation that they found themselves in in human terms. And they forsook Christ and they ran away and they scattered and they fled and they left Jesus alone. That was a human response to difficult, challenging circumstances. Jesus, on the other hand, reacted to the situation in spiritual terms. Yes, he saw the soldiers. Yes, he saw the weapons. Yes, he knew he was going to be taken and beaten and scourged and spat on and crucified. But he knew the will of God. He knew that God had a plan for him to execute. And he knew that every second of the time that he was executing that plan, his father was with him. And so he reacted in spiritual terms. You see, reacting in spiritual terms causes us to act with calmness and peace. Reacting in human terms causes us to respond with despair and helplessness. The disciples, despair, hopelessness, they ran away. Jesus reacted calmly and with peace because he saw what was happening in spiritual terms. We have another good example of this in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 17. I won't read them. We don't really have the time. But it's a story of a time when Israel was at war with the Arameans. And we read that the king of Aram kept devising ambushes, military strategies, ambushes, where he could lure in the Israelite soldiers and then attack them and defeat them. The problem was that every time he set a trap, the Israelite soldiers knew where the trap was and they went a different way. And the king of Aram got very angry and he called his commanders together and said, okay, which of you is a spy who's telling the king of Israel what I'm doing? And they responded, none of us are a spy. There's a prophet in Israel, a man of God called Elisha. And he hears everything you say, even in your bedroom. And he tells the king of Israel what your plans are. Now, I would like to think that if I'd have been the king of Aram and I'd have got that news that this man could hear everything I said, that I would have thought, okay, I'll find somebody else to attack rather than Israel. He didn't think that. He decided, well, if I kidnap the prophet and bring him here and lock him up, then that'll mean I can attack and everything will be fine. I'm not sure I understand his logic there, but that's what he decided to do. So he found out where Elisha was living and he sent a, a, a body of soldiers to go and capture Elisha, Elisha and bring him back. 
And you read, if you look into Kings chapter 6, that they found where he was and they surrounded the city that Elisha was living in. And we read that Elisha's servant gets up that morning and he opens the door and he probably did a huge double take because he can see soldiers, armed soldiers, Arameans, everywhere he looks there are soldiers surrounding the city and they've come for Elisha. And so you can tell in the way he responds, he panics. He interprets this situation in human eyes. In human terms, he says, there are all of these armed men. There are just me and Elisha. We are alone in this situation. This situation is hopeless. He re reacts with despair. And he says, my Lord, what are we going to do? Elisha, however sees what's happening in spiritual terms. And he says, look, don't worry. Greater are those who are with us than those who are with them. And he says to the God, could you open my servant's eyes? And then the servant looks again and he sees angels and chariots of fire. Elisha knew that he wasn't alone. Elisha knew that it didn't matter how many soldiers were arrayed against him. God was with him. And God would protect him. And God had got his angels there to look after him. You get another example, this time with Elijah. In 1 Kings 19, the famous story of where Elijah wins this great victory on Mount Carmel, where he goes up against all the prophets of Baal, and God delivers a mighty victory, and, and God is justified, and the prophets of Baal are put to death. But Jezebel, the queen, responds by saying to Elijah, I will kill you. By this time tomorrow, you will be dead. And this mighty prophet who's won this mighty victory, in that moment when he realizes he's alone and he's arrayed against the king and the queen and the forces of the state, he forgets somehow the mighty victory that God has just given him on Mount Carmel. And he interprets the situation in human terms. He realizes he's alone and he runs away. And it's a fascinating story if you read through 1 Kings chapter 19. He flees for his life. And then in, chapter, in verse 3 of 1 Kings 19, it says he leaves his servant behind. He goes a little way, then he leaves his servant and he goes on his own. See, this is the, the danger of the illusion, the illusion of being alone. Because we read that after he left his servant behind, he traveled on a little bit further and then he lies down under a tree on his own. And he says, I've had enough. Lord, I've had enough. Let me die here under this tree. This mighty man of God, this mighty prophet, he's alone against these forces of evil. And he asks that he would die. Despair, helplessness. He's given up. The circumstances in which he finds himself are so difficult and he's on his own and he can't deal with them. And so in despair he asks to die. But we read that he lies down under this tree and he goes to sleep. What happens next? 
an angel shakes him by the shoulder, wakes him up, says, look, you must be hungry. You've traveled all this way. I've made some food. It's unbelievable because not only is he not alone, the angel is with him. He, can't, he hadn't been able to see the angel, but the angel was with him. The angel was standing next to him when he was threatened by Jezebel. The angel was with him when he ran for his life. The angel was with him when he left his servant behind. The angel was right there with him when he lay down under the tree and gave up. But for some reason, he was interpreting the circumstances he was in through human eyes. And he didn't look for the angel. He forgot the angel would be there. He forgot that God loved him and cared for him and had a plan for his life. The illusion of being alone. The illusion of being alone is so dangerous to us as Christians. The good news for us, as a Christian this morning, you are never alone. However you feel this morning, whatever has happened to you this week, Whatever challenges or circumstances you're facing, and you may feel that you're on your own. You may feel there's nobody you can talk to. You may feel there's nobody who can help you. But that's because you're looking at the situation through human eyes. And you look at the challenge you're facing, which is real. And you look at yourself and you think, I can't deal with this myself. And sometimes we forget that God is there with us. And if we could react to the situation we find ourselves in, in spiritual terms, instead of feeling in despair, we would feel a sense of calm and a sense of peace that God has got this. Very briefly, there is one other aspect to the illusion of being alone. And that is that sometimes, sometimes, We quite like to be alone because we think, well, no one can see. No one knows what we're thinking. You know, if my wife pops out for half an hour and I'm alone in the house, well, I may decide to lounge about on the couch with my feet on the table. I may even decide to go and get a big family-sized bag of chips and just greedily eat them out of the bag rather than putting a few in a bowl. It's all rock and roll in my house when my wife goes out. I can do that because she's not going to know. Because when she comes back, the bag will be back in the cupboard, the house will be tidy. She won't know. And that's the other aspect of the illusion of being alone we need to understand as Christians. There's another story involving Elisha. And it involves the soldier, Naaman, who came from Syria. He got leprosy, which was incurable. But they had a Jewish slave girl there who said, you know there's a prophet in my country, and if you go to him, he will heal you. And on the strength of what this girl said, Naaman travels to find Elisha. And he travels with a big train. And he's got money and jewels and food and all kinds of things. And he goes to see Elisha, and Elisha heals him. Heals him completely. The leprosy disappears. And Naaman is so overjoyed that he says to Elisha, I want you to take some of this. I've brought all of this for you. All of this money, all of these these treasures, all of this food, all of this is for you because I'm so grateful that you've healed me. 
And Elisha says, no, God healed you. I don't need any of this, not any of it. I want you to take it back to Syria with you. And the story should have ended there, except it didn't, because Elisha's servant, Gehazi, is standing with Elisha, and he's watching all of this treasure disappear down the road. And he's thinking to himself, that is just so sad. I could really use a few bucks. And this man wants to give us some money. So clearly he makes some excuse to get away from Elisha. And he runs after uh, Naaman and and the, the carriages. Now at this point, as far as Elisha is concerned, Gehazi is on his own. He's alone. Elisha's back there. I'm here. It's just me and Naaman and all of this cash. And he says, you know what? It would help us, actually, if you gave us a little bit of this money. And Naaman does. But when he gets back to Elisha, Gehazi becomes aware Elisha knows exactly what's happened. Because God sees everything. We have this repeated many times in the Bible. David thought he was alone on the roof when he saw Bathsheba. But God was with him. God was watching. And God is with us all of the time. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that if sometimes when we're on our own and a temptation comes along and we think, well, nobody knows. Nobody's here. I can do this. It doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Because it is an illusion that we're alone in those circumstances. God is looking to us to live the way he wants us to live. So to summarize and close... The illusion of being alone. Yes, we need to understand that in terms of how we behave, the things we do, the things we think when we think we're on our own. But the encouraging thing for us as well this morning is that if we are in a situation where we feel alone, we need to understand this morning that it is an illusion If you feel lonely this morning for any reason, I'm telling you on the strength of the word of God, it is an illusion because you're not alone. If you are a Christian this morning, your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Your names are engraved on the palm of his hand. Your tears he keeps in a bottle. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows your circumstances, your situation. He knows everything that's troubling you. And he is right there with you. You are not alone. Take that as an encouragement this morning. If you're struggling with something this morning, try to switch off your human eyes and try to open up your spiritual eyes and you will realize that you're not alone. What's the answer to the quiz question? What links a 1945 Rodgers and Hammerstein musical with the city of Liverpool in England and all of us this morning. It's a song. It's a very famous song in that musical. It's called You'll Never Walk Alone. It appeared in the musical. It was adopted by Liverpool Soccer Club. And they sing it before every game. And it's an anthem we should remember this morning. Because God is saying to every one of us as Christians, 
You will never walk alone. Wherever you go, wherever you are, whatever you do, whatever you think, whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever problem you encounter, whatever challenge you're struggling with, you are not alone because I am right there with you. Understand that. Seize that. Talk about the problem with him. Give it to him, and he will bless you and deliver you from it. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much because you love us so much. Thank you for the reminder from your word, Lord, that we are never alone. Whatever our situation or our circumstances, Lord, as Christians, you are there with us. Give us confidence, Lord. Anybody this morning who's struggling or fearful, give them comfort and assurance and confidence in that knowledge that you love them and care for them. You are there with them and will deliver them. In your precious and worthy name, amen.